to the podcast. I'm Brian and I'm joined this week by my partner, Walls Trimble. Hi. And this is the Happy Harvest Horror Show where every week we talk about spooky things and spooky historical events and the history of everything spooky. And this week we're talking about something very actually seriously spooky and that is what we'll tell you in a second. Before we do that, I want to welcome you to the show. Welcome Walls Trimble, who I've mentioned a few times. <laughs> Peripherally, I live with her. She's my partner. And I'm a big fan of her. And Aww. she's joining me this week. And you know how this goes. You've listened to the podcast before, right? Mm-hmm. I've listened to it with you. You've heard me record it. No, but we've also listened oh. to it together <laughs> in the yeah, car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, at the beginning of the show, we like to ask our guests, how spooky has their week been? Mm-hmm. So, Walls, how spooky mm-hmm. has your week been? On a scale of one to spooky, I'm actually going to put it at like two notches below spooky. So ahead of one, you know. That's pretty Um, good for you. And it's because of, number one, I had a nightmare that I was frequently traveling from the United States to China to hang out. Unclear if it was Lily Collins herself or her character Emily from Emily in Paris. And it was a nightmare mostly because I couldn't get out of this room, but also a nightmare because that show got more Golden Globe nominations than I May Destroy You. Oh, my God. And then (laughs) there's two more doses of spooky in there (laughs) for me. And it is Marilyn Manson and Army Hammer Mm -hmm. finally being revealed and named as the scum that they are. And the reason why that's not full spooky is because it's balanced out by the women, their victims, who are speaking out about the truth of what happened, and they give me hope for a more truthful future. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of the topic of today, is more truthful futures, Mm -hmm. and actually calling to mind, and a trend in horror of just calling it out as it is, and Mm -hmm. how culturally we're all like, yeah, that's exactly how it is. Wow, okay. That's pretty spooky. And we watched we watched a spooky movie. Oh, we also did watch Ready or Not in preparation for this episode. We each saw it in theaters, but mm-hmm. not together. No. Well, we're both delighted by it in theaters. Yeah. And then we watched it again, I think, last year. And then we thought about trying to convince my parents to watch it with us. <laughs> <laughs> we're not there yet, but I think maybe one day. And then we watched it again last night with our roommate, my brother. I was joking with a friend that I am turning everyone around me into horror fans, one palatable horror movie at a time. (laughs) Come on over to this gate. This is the way. See, that was really fun, wasn't it? So now, you ready for the hard stuff? Anyway, ready or not, that was on my list of what I did spooky this week. Um, Mm -hmm. I also finished Clown in a Cornfield. Mm, You did. That book, yep. Which, the ending was kind of, I mean, I didn't really see it coming, but... It was topical, surprisingly topical in, in how current its message was, um, which I wasn't expecting. So I liked it. So if you're looking for a spooky YA book to read, Clown in a Cornfield. I had a fun time. It was fun. It was a fun little slasher. And it got recommended by Clyde Barker, Paul Tremblay, just all these horror authors that I really love. So if it was good enough for them, it was good enough for me. Speaking of horror authors, I also just started the Stephen King on writing memoir slash writing guide, Mm -hmm. which I've heard from many people is just kind of the Bible on just the creative process. I mean, I've heard this from not even authors like filmmakers and actors that, that, yeah, this book is just amazing. And I'm still in the opening chapters, but I love Stephen King. I'm having a fun time. I even we read the chapters aloud. Well, you read some somewhere some too them. spooky for Walsey. <laughs> He's a spooky guy and he had a spooky past. Yeah, so that's my spooky week. A playwriting teacher at my university. I I think it was in reference to Stephen King. You'll have to confirm or deny, but that mm-hmm. she talked about how he set aside three hours every morning for writing. Mm-hmm. And if he wrote nothing that day, 
too bad. He had to sit there the whole time anyway. And at the end of the three hours, if he had more to write, he had to wait until the next day. So he'd have a guarantee of how to continue. And if it wasn't Stephen King, please let me know. Let us know. Well, I'm I'm opening chapters, so hopefully I'll find out soon. But I love that process. You know, even hearing about these titans of fiction, Mm -hmm. that even their process is like, it's not fun sometimes, you know? No. Makes you feel like one of us a little bit. (laughs) One of us. us. That's going to be a theme in the convo today. Mm -hmm. But before we get into the convo, which I think we have a lot to say about this convo, which many people do. It's a trend in horror right now that people are screaming about this. I want to thank our beautiful coven of supporters. We love you guys so much. And we are going to continue naming you by name because we are very grateful. So thank you so much, Julia, Jody, Erica, Wendy, Erica, Jennifer, Jody, Aaron, and Morgan. Thank you so much for all of your help. Your donations keep us going and keep us feeling spooky and loved. If you would like to join this spooky coven of supporters, which you should, because my God, they're fucking rad. Go to anchor.fm slash hhhs slash support where you can join our subscriber list. And if not, that's okay. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. That's also greatly appreciated. Let us know what you think. And if you have any spooky friends that you want to join in to invite to this podcast, please do. We're trying to grow our audience. We know there's more spooky people out there that love the Halloween is everyday lifestyle. (laughs) And we want to build this family. So bring them on over. The water's warm. It's great. The fire's not too hot. Not too hot. Fires of hell are just right. Just (laughs) right. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick, quick little break for Mm. ads. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about fear of the 1%. Fear of wealth, fear of rich people, and eating the rich. A current trend in horror. Yeah. Or the wealth's fear of the 99. Oh, it should be. It should be. All right. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. (laughs) We are talking about spooky fucking rich people today. And I'm so happy, Wells, you're here to talk about it. Because there is a lot to mine from this. And Mm -hmm. not just from the movie Ready or Not, which will be Mm -mm. a a focal of this. Because Mm -hmm. we both really love it. But yeah, I guess when we talk about the fear of 1%, what are we talking about? We're talking about... You want a hot hot fact? Yeah, I want hot facts. Like, if you were just waking up after your whole life in a coma and you were looking outside like, hey, what, hang on, how come they only, these few have so much? Well, that's what I was, I was going to give you a hot fact yes, from the fact. internet. The world's 2,153 billionaires collectively have more wealth than 60% of the world's population. To say it one other way... Approximately 2,000 people have more money than the 4.6 billion people who make up 60% of the planet. Those are numbers that I can't even fathom. Like, this is like Lovecraft level cosmic horror. I can't even fathom how much money they have, but they do. It is. Yeah, it's you can't spend that amount of money in uh, several lifetimes. Exactly, exactly. But they have it, and... It does not trickle down as much no. as they like to say. All it say does that. is grow exponentially. Correct. And it has become a trend in recent years. It's been it's there's been movies, of course, over the years. Rich people are evil and blah blah blah. And, you know, the mustache twirling villain. But in the last ten years, it has been called out specifically just in the plot of the movie. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about today about ready or not, but we're also there's this is not a, alone in its wealth themed mm-hmm. we're also talking about the purge movies talking about the hunt talking about the invisible man get out Snowpiercer, parasite two of which are i would say horror adjacent they're not horror movies but they have horrific well you were a person who when it came out 
This is for Parasite. You oh, were yeah. upset that people weren't labeling it horror. So was, I'm going to say yeah. that it does get to fit in I'm always, the genre. I'm always, a, people are just afraid of, you know, this is my hill I'm always going to die on. The people are just afraid of the word horror. That Parasite definitely had moments in it that went straight into horror. I'm not going to say it was only horror. It was also a social drama. It well, was it also, wasn't only anything. Exactly. That was made it such a beautiful yeah. movie that deserved every award. That Ready or not wasn't only horror. I would say it's as much, if not more, comic. Yeah, which it's you can't put things in one basket. Is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, so let's let yeah. Parasite be a horror film. Okay, for today's purposes, Parasite. Okay. Okay, but let's start with Ready or Not. Yeah, because we we just seen it. It's the freshest. It's the freshest. We watched it last night. If you are unfamiliar, it follows. I don't know anyone's name in this movie <laughs> except for Fitch. Fitch, yeah, you can't, can't forget that. Name. It's yeah, surrounds newlyweds where the bride is coming into a very wealthy board game family, the Ledomas family. Ledomas family, and it is a tradition that when you enter the family, you have to play a game at midnight. At midnight of the wedding day, and the game could be anything: could be chess, checkers, or it could be one bad game which is hide and seek. Oh, also, we're going to spoil every single movie that we talk about. So just a heads up. We listed the name of the movie already. We're going into it. Yeah. Thank you for that heads up. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's important because we're, we're doing a deep dive into why these are reflecting. Oh, no, I fully think we should discuss. We'll have show notes when we're talking about which movie. So yes, so they're entering the family and hide and seek is the one bad game mm-hmm. that you could draw. And guess what? She draws it. <laughs> and what is hide and seek? Well, it's a game of killer cat and mouse where the family then hunts down and kills the person. And that is the rough overview of what this movie is. What ensues is hilarity, comedy, and like pretty damning display of wealth, but not just wealth running everything and having no consequences for what they do, but incompetent wealth, which is a new thing that I feel like is becoming a theme in mm-hmm. recent years. And Vanity Fair wrote about this. Right, yes. In the Vanity Fair article written by Laura Bradley, she points out that this family, though super, super wealthy, so you would think they would have had to have earned their way to that, they're actually completely incompetent. And we see that as our hero, the bride, manages to defy their attempts to murder her. But we, I think, see it even more clearly in their own missteps where they harm one another and where they mess up the game. And so it's actually less about our hero attacking them. That comes very, very late, I think, in the film. And it's really their own idiocy that brings about their downfall. Right. Which we have seen paralleled in Trump's administration. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and also that complete lack of interest or apparent interest in it, too. I mean, we have characters like the father who grumble at one point. They're like, I have an eight o'clock tea time. This is so frustrating. We have characters fumbling with the weapons that they have. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. This is so boring. You know, I hate this. I have to Google how to use. Exactly. That like they're they're in this position without any experience, without any credentials, that they were just born into this. And then thrust into positions of power in this specific moment. But that was emulated basically in these last four years and and prior too. But that is becoming a large talking point in film nowadays. The the conversation, I think, is getting a little more nuanced instead of the rich being like these Lex Luthor evil villains of like, we Mm -hmm. have the money and I have the, the smarts to utilize it and be effective. Now we have examples in real life of... Inherited wealth mm -hmm. that... The only reason they're doing this is because they're desperate to cling to it. They don't want to lose the wealth, but they're not using it to benefit the world. They're not they're not gaining it by doing something interesting or that they're passionate about. They're just trying to maintain their wealth. Right. And they'll try to do that at any cost. And even them, I don't even think they know to the extent of how much wealth they have. That, I mean, that's another thing that I read in this Vanity Fair article was the directors and the the creators specifically did not want the scope of this house to Mm -hmm. be 
known to the viewer. Right. They never show a wide shot of the house. You're following her through twists and turns and secret corridors and everything that this is a maze and it seems to be this never-ending giant house. Mm -hmm. To the viewer, we feel that like, oh, the wealth never ends. Because truthfully, in the real world, it doesn't. Right, because you can't spend that much money in your lifetime. Yeah. And so I think that's worth noting too, that like they're incompetent and they don't even know what to do with it and which i have seen in the in, in the real world i've i've told like stories catering. on catering which is such a which was so fascinating what a fly in the wall career that was i mean i've been in so many very wealthy privileged homes and in situations and more often than not they're they're miserable they're yeah. the wealth does not bring happiness wealth brings just this apathetic sort of nothing matters because we have everything already is and beautiful homes and beautiful homes yeah and and, and bills paid and you know and i don't want to sound you know like that this is everything but i mean i saw i was in a lot of places and this was a <laughs> kind of a common theme in this like absurd level of disparity that we have but that's it's kind of the beauty of this movie that that it's making light we can laugh at it but the joke we wouldn't laugh at it if we didn't all collectively acknowledge that yeah this is what it is that like mm-hmm. this is it's it's so fascinating that in not just horror movies but in so many movies that killer rich people is just a trope that we have all acknowledged like yeah that probably happens i mean that it's now becoming low-hanging fruit almost you know that rich people can murder and get away with it yeah or they'll even do it for fun for sport ah such as in such as in the hunt which is another movie which i have to admit that i have not seen have you seen the no, you haven't seen it? We shouldn't talk about it. I wanted to talk about it because it was very... I'm not going to talk in detail. I'm just going to say okay. that this is another movie that addressed this. Um, it was very polarizing and controversial two years ago when it was supposed to come out in 2019. Mm-hmm. Because Fox News got a hold of it and spun this whole story that it was the liberal elite shooting down working man Republicans. and <sighs> Which the joke's on fucking them because it was actually the opposite. That's not here or there. I haven't seen the movie, but that's what the movie is about. Rich people literally just hunting poor people. Which is also the... Theme in Hostel, right? Which is also the theme in Hostel. It wasn't even where I'm going, but we're oh. seeing... <laughs> you see that there are so many movies that are just... I was going to the Purge movies. There are oh. now four. A fifth one, and a supposedly final one, is on the way. The Purge movies are all about a, basically, government experiment that becomes a government mandate that one day a year... All crime is legal. Murder, robbery, theft, everything. Everything's legal for one night. And the pitch from the government is that this actually improves... It improves crime overall. It reduces crime overall. That's like people's philosophy on cheat days for diets. If you have one day a week where you can have whatever you want, that'll limit (laughs) how much you want that sugar Monday through Friday. It's probably not far off. But I think this idea of the pitch is much more interesting when it got to the movie The First Purge, which mm-hmm. was the, the fourth movie. Because That's confusing. <laughs> I know, I know. It is, the prequel was actually the fourth, right? So there's Purge, Purge Anarchy, Purge Election Night, Purge, the first Purge. Yep. Okay. So the okay. fourth movie is all about how the government experiment started. And it was an isolated experiment on Staten Island where they targeted specifically lower income neighborhoods. And this is where they were going to do their experiment. Spoiler, I'm not in spoiler. This is kind of in the trailers. Participants of the purge were not rioting. They weren't killing. They weren't purging. Full Katniss PETA moment. (laughs) They were just full on partying, having fun because there's no laws, but they weren't killing each other. This did not go in the favor of the elite experimenters. Okay. Investors? Investors? Yeah. This is not fitting the narrative they wanted to sell because in order for this to sell, they needed violence. They needed to show that people needed a release. So what did they do? They they injected militarized police. We've never seen this before. We've never seen this before. Incited riots, incited angst and anger and violence. And then suddenly what was sold to the nation from the TV cameras was, look, this is what we were doing all along. This was always going to be happening. This was inevitable and this was good. Which then, if you go to the next, which is technically the first Purge movie, mm-hmm. the idea of wealth just feeding it on itself is even more heightened because we follow Ethan Hawke and his family. And he is very well off in this really upper middle class neighborhood because he sells home security 
for the purge night. Oh my, he's a profiteer. He's a profiteer. That this whole thing was, this whole <sighs> enterprise was introduced by the rich, and now the rich are going to keep becoming more rich off this whole thing. Um, wow. Which just keeps growing, keeps growing. The purge movies themselves, I don't know if you need to see them. I think they're. I sort of feel like I have now. I don't know if I want the moment to moment. Yeah. But maybe, I don't know. I've seen them all. I think they're fine. I think the first Purge, the one I just told you about Staten Island, is of the four the best. Because I think that one's the most specific in its message. That like, we're kind of pawns in this. That like, Mm -hmm. the people at the top are really pulling the strings. And if you're not playing along, they're going to make sure you play along. It's rare that a prequel is better than it's forefathers that's true well i mean this one's set up that because the the whole movie it was always kind of a joke the purge movies right like oh man they're just gonna go right and kill for a night what a what a movie but then the first one like kind of made very realistic real world connecting points that Mm -hmm. made suddenly the universe kind of fascinating you're like oh shit Mm. but anyway that was the purge movies what else can we talk about because there's no shortage of movies that fit this list of well i want to talk about get out let's talk about get out yeah because what Get Out brings to the conversation is the addition of race and uh-huh. white supremacy and how those are inextricably linked with power and wealth. And wealth yeah. A, I think Get Out is like one of the greatest movies, certainly of the 21st century. What century are we in? I just had a moment. We're in the 21st. Yeah, the 21st century. I just think this conversation about, it's like a perfect example of the wealthy getting wealthier, Mm -hmm. and that the way you do that is by abusing another group of people, Mm -hmm. somebody that you think is below you. Mm -hmm. And keeping them below you. It's this kind of incredible dichotomy because in the film, this wealthy white family have developed this science. I actually think the movie is not very heightened. I think the science is heightened, and then that's it. (laughs) I do think there are people who believe these things. So this wealthy white family has developed a science where they can transfer a alien wealthy white person's brain soul Mm -hmm. into the, quote, superior, quote, body of a black person that they have kidnapped in some way. So there's this admittance that they believe that black people are physically superior to them Mm -hmm. while they're maintaining this need to express their own dominance as white people. Right. That's just like especially sickening to me. Sort of live example that we see at the afternoon auction Uh on their estate is of this elderly white man who's blind he wants to be put in the body of a seeing man gotcha and that is a seeing black man so co-opting this other a a human's another human's body so that you can have more access to life so it just obviously i mean you can't really do much in america without somehow referencing our country's origins i think and yeah. recognizing that this is like a just a modern day slavery mm-hmm. but i'm curious about when you're watching these movies are we the audience scared of like who are we frightened of mm-hmm. in the movie and the main character who we follow is a black man and so we're sort of like rooting for him you know we're we're in his vision for the movie. So I think we want to root for him, but I don't know that we as white Americans are always rooting for the black men in our lives. Like it's kind of a moral question for me about when we watch a movie, we root for people who are the underdog in the situation. Yeah. Who this comes up in Parasite. I don't know that we would be as compassionate if somebody tried to come take over like our comfortable house right now so i'm interested in these films because they do ask me questions about my own morality and my value system Mm -hmm. i think my final thought right now about get out is just that i want to bring up the alternate ending oh right so when jordan peele made the film the original ending he was using again spoiler (laughs) skip ahead 30 seconds 
The original ending he used happens almost the same. The police car comes to pick up our main character. Right. Except you're watching that as an American. And if you're like awake to what it is to be a black man in America in a relationship with police, like that's not a good sign. The police are not going to believe him. They're going to accuse him of the murder of the residents and he'll have a terrible rest of his life. That was the original ending. Which is bleak. (laughs) Really bleak. Really bleak. And he even said that he needed to give the audience more hope. So when that police car shows up, it's his best friend who works security. TSA. Yeah, TSA. <laughs> oh, man. Which that ending made me cheer. You know, that like... Yes. I, had, I remember seeing that in theaters, and it was such a singular moment of when the cop car roll, did roll up. The whole theater I was with, everyone groaned. We were all like, no, no. Yeah, and because that, that's the most realistic ending. It, yes, and that the fact that it evoked that everyone knew what that meant in the theater. Mm-hmm. You know, that like no one missed... Like I was in a New York City full theater and when that moment happened... I mean, that's telling. It, just like we're talking about in these movies where it's not hard to believe that the rich are killing us for sport. It's also not hard to believe that this... Police kill black men for sport. Exactly. So this is... That's why I love horror. I love this so much because it has always been a genre that taps into these cultural fears that we have and heightens it and puts in this fantastical space for us to tap in and feel it and have this sort of catharsis, but also to act, but to feel it. It pushes mm-hmm. you to feel it. That's what horror does. It pokes you, it makes you uncomfortable. And I love it. I love it so much. That's why we have this podcast because we love it so much. <laughs> um, that was Get Out. We also have two from Bong. Bong Joon-ho. Oh, yeah. We'll start with the first one. That Chronological. Was. Chronological. Snowpiercer, which is just a linear... A master class. Matter, but yeah, like a linear metaphor of the class system. You know? Yeah. We are on a train. If you aren't familiar with Snowpiercer, it takes place on a uh, fast-moving train. Yeah, you have a synopsis. You want to read it? Yeah, it's from mm-hmm. Wikipedia. <laughs> okay, we know it's right. <laughs> After an attempt to stop global warming via climate engineering catastrophically backfires and creates a new ice age in 2014, the remnants of humanity, humans, have taken to a circumnavigational train, the Snowpiercer, run by reclusive transportation magnate Wilford. Passengers on the train are segregated, with the elite in the extravagant front cars and the poor in squalid tail compartments controlled by armed guards. Okay, the reason I really wanted to read it was because it's such a red flag that this is all run by one person Mm -hmm. about whom we know very little. Always. Which we talked about in our uh, Hermetic Order of the Sacred Dawn episode, that the people at top are usually this heightened being, that they are on another existential plane from us, and they are very mysterious. We don't know too much about them, because we could never hope to understand Mm -mm. the vast... Very Scientology. (laughs) Yeah, it's very... A lot of things. But we have patterns across a lot of these things. It's what we're talking about. And this movie follows one man, Chris Evans, who lives with everyone at the back of the train. This is Mm -hmm. the bottom rung of the ladder, poorest of the poor. So much so that um, their meals every day are these protein bars, which we find out later as they rebel and move up through the train. Protein bars are just bugs that get in the grill up front of the train that are mashed down and made into food, which is... What an example of trickle-down economics. That... Well, it is a step up from the cannibalism they had to participate in at the beginning of the train. That's also true. 17 years prior. So. <laughs> yeah. So good times on the Snowpiercer. Good times on the Snowpiercer. But, I mean, it is it is a very surface level, but also very not wrong metaphor of Mm-mm. that it is a linear progression of, like, the more money there is the better the lifestyle, <laughs> you know? That yeah, it's very direct. You go, they, they start going through cars, and suddenly there's education. Suddenly there's food. Suddenly there's, you know, services for these people that were not available in the back of the train. Mm-mm. And there's no longer armed guards there to control you either, mm-hmm. which, true. like, we see over-policing in poorer areas all over the country. 100%, 100%. And this all leads to the front of the train, which I think we can leave it on this one you okay know, we won't spoil it we won't spoil it i think i think snow pierce is fantastic and oh, it's but it's such a 
It's so good. It's a good, no, but it's a good conversation point about the end of the film. About how the rebellion started. Oh, okay. Well, you want to talk about it? Yeah. Let's talk about it. Because the rebellion was designed by that reclusive magnate. Because he needed to reduce the population on the train. So he fed his little spies all the way down the train. Who, like, literally he fed them. Because, again, we've talked about how they're undernourished. Right. I mean, you'll do anything for a meal if you're at that point. And so this rebellion that Chris Evans has led, that we've been following this whole movie rooting for him, you then find out that he was actually still serving the man he was trying to rebel against. Which brings us back to this very scary situation with wealth. It's like, how do you, you can't beat it because it feels like... It owns everyone. Everyone at every step of the way. Which also goes into... His most recent movie, which you mentioned earlier, Parasite, which, Mm -hmm. oh my God, it was so good. I remember seeing, I- I, You saw it before me. I did. And I I was lucky enough to see it. I wasn't at, you know, Cannes or anything, but I, when it came to New York- (laughs) You weren't in the south of France. I missed it. I missed it. I was strolling through and I just couldn't be bothered. You had to make your tea time. (laughs) No, it came to, in New York, it was one of the few cities that got it first, mm-hmm. and it came to IFC, and it was sold out for, like, weeks, which mm. was, like, telling that this, yeah. you know? Um, that doesn't happen for every movie. No. So I got a ticket one day before catering. I saw it, like, at noon or something, and it didn't get a wide release, I feel like, for, like, another few months. This was, like, in the spring and then it didn't. And then it didn't get ride, ride release until like the fall. And then the next year, Oscars happened. So for I was for months. I feel like I was raving about this movie. Mm-hmm. Of like I saw this movie, IFC, like blew my fucking mind. Mm-hmm. So good. And I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. <laughs> People at catering, I saw it was like, yeah, it's this Korean movie about the class. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> But this uh, this conversation, the same director, mm-hmm. is continued in this as it shows a family who also, not dissimilar to the train, they live at the bottom. That's the Kim family. In the Kim family. In a city that, whereas Snowpiercer is linear line, this mm-hmm. one is more vertical. They are mm-hmm. literally at the bottom of the city. Mm-hmm. and Closest to the sea level. Mm-hmm. And they cleverly infiltrate a wealthy family the park uh, family and get themselves each employed basically to live and as the movie goes things get much darker and darker as you find out there are other people that are pining for the money of the kim family yeah, uh, that are on the same ladder right to hopeful success exactly which then brings back to this discussion of wealth that it is a evil vehicle <laughs> mm-hmm. That is putting you against other people mm-hmm. who are not your enemy. They are Mm-mm. fighting. You are fighting each other for the scraps of a larger machine mm-hmm. that you can't hope to even fathom. So mm-hmm. I'm going to fight the one thing that's here. What I think is most fascinating about this movie, um, and there are thousands of things that are fascinating. I fucking love this movie. <laughs> but back to me catering in New York City. I remember one specific, I think it was even a holiday party, and I overheard a conversation you eavesdrop everything that's the job Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they were talking about the movie and what i thought was so fascinating was how different economic backgrounds Mm -hmm. and audiences perceived who the parasite in the movie was Mm -hmm. and that is the crux of the whole wealth issue (laughs) of and the genius of the title the genius of the title that they're like yeah of course the, the kim family that's coming in and leeching off their money they're the parasite and i'm like Oh, skin crawling in the corner like you don't see that this is a fucking much larger issue you know um but the brilliance of this fucking movie and the horror of this movie and, and it is horror because there's this great it, i'm playing, so glad you're on my team now <laughs> it is horror because it gets i mean it, it's a lot of things and the movie plays out in this great comedic you know hijinks full-on gleeful guffaws at the mm-hmm. at the mischief they get in mm-hmm. at the park's family's expense right yeah but then the movie literally delves like yeah. delves into horror when they find the secret passage and they go down the staircase and it's like 
the tone, the music starts getting sharp violins. We get the the lighting gets stroby and dark. Mm-hmm. We like basically the rug being pulled and showing like, no, 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 this isn't fun. <laughs> you know, this, I know we're all having fun and that's okay. Also, this is fucked up, you know? Yeah. Um, which is the brilliance of this movie. Um, which is also something we see in Ready or Not. Mm-hmm. Where... There is a turn for each of the characters trying to kill this bride, mm-hmm. where it goes from like, okay, we've got all night to do this like kind of silly game. Here's some laughs along the way. Whoops. Right. But there's a moment for each of them where they realize that their life is at stake. It's either them or her. Mm-hmm. And I've, it turns. And, and, and we see that in Paris. And for her as well, which I don't right. want to ruin that. Right. That's too much spoilers for me. Much. Yeah, I know. I know. But but not just them, but also them and their family members. Because mm-hmm. it's once that gets mixed up into the whole thing, it's probably, it's hard enough for anybody to turn against their family or to like stand up to their family when your family is also at the top of wrong of power of mm-hmm. wealth. Like that's it. I feel yeah. damn near impossible. There's, yeah. you can only go well, down. Think about Harry and Meghan trying to leave the monarchy. <laughs> Such horror. But yeah, I mean, we but don't yeah. know. Yeah. What, what, what the tabloids did Meghan? Horror. You know? Yeah. It was a movie waiting to happen. Yeah. But yeah. Well, I think the point that you made about in Parasite we have the super wealthy family, the Parks. We have their original housekeeper. And then we have the new Kim family. And the Parks don't really do it because they're not present for this. But the original housekeeper and the Kims are really fighting to keep their spot. Yes. And so the Parks don't even have to lift a hand to do that. It's all happening without their involvement. And... It all comes from this belief that there is scarcity of, which is often a reality, scarcity of opportunity and resources, and that getting to the top of the ladder is something that you want. And that all mirrors directly, again, the origins of America mm-hmm. with slave and landowners. Another hot fact if we want a number. Oh, is this from PBS? This is from PBS, Brian. The standard image of Southern slavery is that of a large plantation with hundreds of slaves. In fact, such situations were rare. Fully three quarters of Southern whites did not even own slaves. So that means only 25% did. Of those 25%, 88% owned 20 or fewer, again, human beings, And so slavery was not an institution that was actually benefiting 75% of people. Yeah. And yet, if you were to poll that group of people, they would still defend slavery because it helped them see themselves in a hierarchy where they were above a group of people, where they were not the lowest people Mm -hmm. on the the rung. And... I think that's very relatable. You never want to feel like you're the worst of anything. Mm-hmm. But I also think that that's an inherent error on our end that we do rank yeah. ourselves at all. I think that also speaks to just a, a social issue with wealth is that for many people, it's probably, it's hard to root against the wealthy because they this American dream that could be them one day. Right, it keeps this hope alive. Exactly. So I'm not going to root against them because that might hurt me in the long run when I get wealthy. Right. Except if you actually do look at the numbers and reality, it's very unlikely. It's very slim. You're playing against a deck. Uh, And I'm not saying don't try, but I am saying if you do try, if you do succeed, just... Do something good with it. Yeah. Do something really good. And uh, uh, support Happy Harvest Horror Show as you do it. Um, yeah. Send, <laughs> send some four ninety nine this trickle way. Trickle that down. But this thing where we're talking about, we're talking a lot of contemporary horror movies. Right. I wanted to talk about a couple of movies that mm-hmm. were maybe a little ahead of their time. One of which was John Carpenter, my boy JC. <laughs> You, I can confirm he loves John Carpenter. I love this curmudgeon of a man. But he did make this movie in the 80s called They Live, which I hope you've all seen. If you haven't, it's definitely worth a watch. It is a movie about a uh, straggler that comes into town and he finds these glasses that let him see 
what's actually happening. And what's actually happening is an alien race has completely taken over the world and is manipulating everybody with subliminal propaganda into submitting to their rule. Um, and it's done through when he puts on the glasses, he sees billboards that are like consume by <laughs> and like, and John Carpenter himself in many interviews has said this was, this was a reaction to the Reagan years of capitalism, of unrestrained mm. capitalism, which have not gotten Are the current better. years. <laughs> no. It's not gotten better. We are nearing late stage capitalism <laughs> if we're not there already. Yeah. But the, the, this was already speaking of this in the eighties where, which debatably in the eighties, this extreme wealth in Wall Street sort of surge was celebrated. It was it was mm-hmm. attractive. We had the movies Wall Street. We had, like I said, unrestrained capitalism in the eighties were very much consumed by by we're we're gonna live forever, you know? Yeah. And we're now living in the reaction to that where we have huge bubbles of money that Yeah, the day after YOLO is not very fun. It's like mm-hmm. a strong hangover. Strong. But I just love that. I love that I saw one. I can't remember which article said it. I feel bad. But he did make this point that John Carpenter made Halloween. I introduced Michael Myers to the world. We now have going on 13 movies with Michael Myers. They live only had one movie. The one movie franchise. Mm. But just went ahead and became reality. That like (laughs) Mm. the one is still a film franchise and one just came true in a way. Wow. This is quite a topic that we're, we've just pulled out five or six movies that we think in the horror genre directly talk about it. And there are more. We, we can talk about, like, you're next. We could talk about even us. Jordan Peele's second movie talks in, talks about this. We could mm-hmm. talk about the hostile movies more. I'd rather not. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is just in horror, too. We're seeing this across right. our cultural paradigm right now where it seems like a very i mean it's huge i would say at least half of ya fiction is rooted in this kind of class mm-hmm. warfare including clown in a cornfield if you haven't heard me talk about it go check it out because are they a it, sponsor they're not but I not wish yet they would i would love to be sponsored by the book <laughs> clown in a cornfield but yeah and not and not just us too i think this was a really interesting thing about parasite is that it was made and people asked him how did you make a movie that was so specific to u.s politics Mm. and he was like like, i made this movie about south korea Uh, yeah i think it's telling that the whole world is reacting to this movie in a way it is it's not a south korea problem it's a it's a worldwide worldwide problem but i thought this was a great topic to talk about today because it's currently happening it's still happening and we're going to keep getting movies that are addressing it because just like the character in ready or not this is a topic where it feels like you can do nothing but scream at an empty void Mm. because nothing feels like it'll change it there are ways we can change it there are ways and steps we can take but but we do have to ask that's the fear you know whose pockets we're lining when we pay for these movies because often it is reclusive producers yeah. i think about the recent mulan film which here's another comparison hong kong and china mm-hmm. dealing with oppression but that it was mainland chinese producers making money off of a film about one woman leading mm-hmm. a troop of you know people who couldn't possibly defeat an empire right and succeeding and so I think it feels a bit like a, a hamster wheel where you just can't get out. Like, if you want to move ahead, how do you get out? How do you change Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. from the inside out? I don't know if you can, but from the outside, there's just not enough group energy power force yet at this point, maybe. I don't know. Also, how do you how do you eat the rich without becoming what you hated about them yeah which i mean we talk about both snowpiercer and the first purge how do you know if your rebellion or your good steps that you're taking are not just at the whims of something else to pursue their agenda right how do you see through this at times like yeah this is a really noble thing i'm doing when sometimes it's at the whim it, you're 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 actually a cog in someone else's corrupt machine which makes this whole thing just so frustrating you know (laughs) 
kind of like the GameStop thing that just happened, right? Yeah. Like, you hear about it, the, and I'm, I read the news, and I think it's funny, and it is funny. It is so funny that these mad cats got kind of a slap. What's not funny is a lot of other people are jumping on and losing a lot of money doing it, you know? that. That's... Well, and also the people who gained money were not just you and me first-time Robin Hood users. Right. Like, plenty of hedge funds made money on that. Totally. And they're going to continue making money on it. Yes, they are, because the way way options and shorts work, you have to keep paying in. So, yeah, it's it's it it can feel hopeless sometimes. And that's why we have the horror genre. It's there for you because it. (laughs) Well, I will say as someone who prior to Mm -hmm. our six years of courtship, Mm -hmm. um, would have said that she did not like horror blanket statement end quote. I would say that I actually just wasn't educated on it at all, and I've come to be much more interested in it Mm. because you are passionate about it and because it's like listening to an expert on anything talk about the thing that they know a lot about. You're like, oh, wait, I understand why this is important and, you know, how I can be connected to it. With that in mind, I think a trend that I'm finding for myself that is important for my horror viewing journey Uh is that I need a positive, cathartic moment. Yeah. And I need to leave the theater feeling taken care of. I don't feel good when I feel like I've been left with a bleak ending or been left on my own to try to climb out of a hole. Yeah. So ready or not, get out. Knives Out is more thriller than horror, but I would say that it is in the gateway to scarier things. Sure, yeah. Agatha Christie's murder mystery. Yeah. 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 They all delivered on that more positive note, more hopeful note, Mm -hmm. and a feeling of sort of how I feel at the end of good roller coasters and rides at theme parks where you're like, okay, I've completed that journey. <laughs> that is exactly what's so fun. I, I, there's been studies that people who love horror movies also love roller coasters and spicy food. Oh, I'm not there on spicy food yet. I'm but a that, wimp. But that you're, you're going into something that's like your body's telling you is a little dangerous, but yeah. you also know I'm safe. I'm going to eat this pepper. I'm going to be fine. It's going to be hot, but it's going to be fun because it's going to taste good and I know it's going to And I know how big it is and that it'll be done in a certain amount of time. It's going to be scary, but I'm strapped in. I'm safe. I'm going through it. Haunted houses are the same way. We're going to do an episode on haunted houses because I love haunts so much. But you're going in. It's controlled. Uh, there yeah. are haunts that are not controlled, and a lot we of we them... don't advise you attend those. <laughs> when you sign a waiver, red flag. <laughs> but there are people that do it safely. I know, like the blackout. If you're going in knowing what you're expecting, and there you sign a waiver, they 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 take care of you. Mm-hmm. Um, there's others that don't, and they're no longer around. I'm mm. Happy to say. But yeah, there is a whole science to this, and why people like being scared. It's horror movies. Coming back to it, you're going into a movie knowing that, like, I'm I'm watching something, but I'm in a theater. I'm safe. I'm okay, and I can see when it leaves you in a bleak sort of space at the end. You're like, I, I don't know if I was safe because I. Yeah, it feels like almost a bit abusive sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Which, you know. Which I'm not saying that that's a, a horror genre only. I think that that's like a storytelling trap. You have to be careful. I feel much more uncomfortable watching just real life. <laughs> like, yeah. you watch a lot of reality shows, and I feel often social situations scare me more <laughs> yeah. than any horror movie can ever. Yeah. Watching people fight in public, I'm just like, I'm going to walk into the ocean. I can't watch this. <laughs> you know? But it's fun. It's just everyone's got different yeah. tolerance. But I thought this was fun. I thought so. Thank you for having, uh, coming on. (laughs) Thank you for having yourself come on. Thank you for forcing your way into the spooky room to record this podcast. You're welcome. And speaking of podcasts, if you Mm -hmm. love walls like I do, we're cool. You can. Well, if you love me the way Brian does, we need to talk. Yeah, we need to talk. (laughs) No, I have a podcast of my own that I co-host with one of my best friends. It's called I Have a Question with Rachel and Walls. I co-host with one of my best friends from Northwestern University. Go cats! Each week, episodes come out on Wednesday, and we do a little check-in. 
and we ask each other a question that we haven't asked each other before in 12 years of friendship. We're just saying something. Mm -hmm. And then we give a recommendation for something to eat, read, listen to, watch, do. We're both really passionate activists, as you may have, or we're passionate about activism. I don't know if we're activists yet, but... We care about the world. We both are Enneagram ones, if anybody likes the Enneagram. And Rachel's a Capricorn son, and I'm a Leo son. There you go. And you can say hi to us on Instagram. Our handle is at with Rachel and Walls. We'll put that in the show notes. Right, Brian? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, great. Show notes. So check her out. Please do. She's great. And um, I hope you think so, too. And not only your podcast, I think mm-hmm. our horror audience and spooky friends of this podcast. They like old stuff. They love old stuff. I hope you do. I love old stuff. <laughs> Uh, and if you are a fan of the antique vintage vintage lifestyle, <laughs> there's a saying, vintage goods, not vintage values. Because I'm not trying to like reoppress women and people of color and the LGBT community like we did in the 50s and the 60s. But I will sell you some very cool glassware that would have been on your bar cart at that time. And you can find her at Honeybell Vintage on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And she's got a lot of great stuff. Go check her out. Thanks. She works hard at it. Good luck. Come on. Come on, everybody. Get in on it. And hey, if you like, let me know, I might be able to get Assistant Brian to help wrap your package, if that would be meaningful to you. Pro bono. That's, that's my... <laughs> that's that small biz life. <laughs> small biz life. I help. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us for a very topical discussion on kind of a trend that's happening right now in horror and worldwide. We're just having this conversation, and I hope it continues because it's scary and it continues to be scary. And I think I want to write a story about this. I think there is really something. Yeah. There is something Cthulhu-esque about wealth in that it's unknowable and all-knowing. And nobody take this idea. This is my idea. (laughs) (laughs) What's What's occurring to me right now is that the number of billionaires in the world, I think I have more Facebook friends than there are billionaires in the world. Remember the people who have more than 60% of the world's wealth? There's too much money. Yeah, that's crazy. If nothing else, let us go to our graves having made creative works about them. (laughs) Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, thank you, Wells, for joining us. Thanks for having me. And we will be back next week for another spooky topic. And I hope you all stay spooky. Bye. Boo.